Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a great week working with your team. As usual, a quick content recap from work we've produced on playerdevelopmentproject.com recently. Over the last week or so, we've published a new video session plan on transition and a really interesting Q&A which features a conversation between PDP technical advisor Dan Wright and I on the value or challenges that go with implementing a season-long plan. We've also just published our latest masterclass discussion, which is the focus of today's podcast. I was lucky enough to sit down with motivational researcher and rugby coach Johnny McMurtry recently. In this conversation, we talk psychology, self-determination theory, creating positive learning environments, and much more. If you enjoy this chat, you can read more of Johnny's work on the PDP website and follow him on Twitter at coachingcoach underscore. Today, we share a portion of the masterclass with our podcast listeners, and for the full one-hour conversation, you can head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com and access the masterclass discussion section. Look out for more great content on the site coming very soon, and we have some new members features which are currently in development, so look out for them. As always, a reminder, if you haven't signed up to become a PDP member, we have monthly, annual, or club membership options available at playerdevelopmentproject.com, so you can sign up and access all of our top coaching content, including the new PDP Slack community. Lastly, if you get a chance today, leave us a review for the podcast, and I hope you enjoy today's discussion. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Masterclass discussion. Really pleased to be joined today by Johnny McMurtry. Johnny, how are you? Good, man. Thanks very much for inviting us on. Really, really pleased to have you and connect with you after uh, reading a number of your blogs and seeing some of your work online. It's great to have you on board. So not only are we going to discuss rugby in general today, but we're going to talk a little bit about your research and some of the work you've been doing around motivation and other areas, which I'm sure we can dive into. Before we get there, we're recording pre-Rugby World Cup. And, you know, as a proud Irishman, I'm sure you've got your predictions. And as a proud Kiwi, I've certainly got mine. What's your sort of views as, as we sort of look into the crystal ball and then can perhaps laugh at this in a couple of months' time when it's released? Um, well, probably the best thing about the World Cup coming through is, there's, as you said, there's probably about seven or eight teams that you're really going to stick their hand up. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to write off the, the Kiwis, to be honest with you, because of the volume of depth they have. Um, as you said, being a proud Irishman, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they'll be there, thereabouts. Um, again, just that thinness on the ground compared to the Kiwis probably let us down. But again, that's you look at England really coming strong in the build-up of the World Cup. Wales just you know became number one there last week, well, this week, wherever it might have been. Um, the French or the French, who knows? I mean, they'll either be out in the pools or make the final. You just don't know. So look, and it's it's just hard to say. It's hard to say who's going to win it. But yeah, you've got to talk. Yeah, really, New Zealand, South Africa. Um, England, Wales, probably for me. Sadly, you know, I mean, living in Australia, I just think that they're they're going to be there thereabouts. They always seem to just get it right World Cup time, but yeah, who who know? And that's a, who who really knows? You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that's spot on. I think it's such an exciting tournament this time round to have so many teams in the frame. And as a Kiwi, I think we've been a little bit nervous this season, but um, hoping for the dynasty to continue. So, look, with that said. Um, Johnny, can you give us a little bit of a background in terms of your own coaching experience and perhaps some of the, the research that you've been doing and, and, and the, the areas we'll discuss today? Yep, cool. Um, yeah, so my background, obviously, played a bit of rugby in Wales when I was studying there. I um, actually did the, the world tour thing, went to New Zealand, played two seasons in Rotorua uh, for the Karakura Club there. Um, 
eventually landed in Australia with a job I still have, but there was always this itch to get into coaching. Um, did some soccer coaching, but predominantly the, the call was always there for rugby union. Um, so, yeah, about 10, 12 years ago, I started rugby coaching um, uh, under 16 grade uh, down at Logan in Brisbane. Uh, progressed through, coached another couple of clubs in the University of Queensland. And quite early on, I was pretty fortunate to get involved with uh, what's called the Junior Reds or the Reds Academy, uh, which was the first glimpse into like a high performance program for, again, age grade players. So that we were focusing on that sort of 14 to 17, 18 year old, uh, just to try and find that talent ID process and just trying to find the right players to enter in the programs. Um, but it, it just, it felt very uh, regimented, um, very sort of top heavy, uh, directed uh, style of coaching. Again, uh, the ARU or what's not known as Rugby Australia, they, they introduced ideas such as uh, crossfield sevens, you know, a, a big sevens pushing the game as well uh, when it was introduced as Olympic sport. Um, but again, it, it just felt we were missing a beat. Uh, so I've actually got a 17-year-old son who's dropped out of rugby twice, which broke my soul twice. But um, and again, it all came back to um, just to call it overzealous coaching, uh, coaching just not in line with what he and his friends were involved in rugby for. Uh, you know, start preseason very early, and uh, again, a very sort of close skill as opposed to games-based approach, maybe. Uh, which led me down to, um, I was actually finishing off my grad dip in sports coaching at University of Queensland. Um, and I was sort of trying to work out what was the next phase or what was the next part to do. So uh, I spoke to Cliff Mallett, Stephen Wren, who are my two advisors uh, at University of Queensland. And I was fortunate enough, they, they supported me to go on and do some research um, around essentially what motivates this, this age grade rugby player. So we're looking at... Um, why they're involved in the sport, uh, what motivates them in the sport and away from the field as well, to try and offer them a better, the rugby is really essentially a snapshot of what these players wanted at this time. I just wanted to give, again, not necessarily a big shake up of the program by any stretch of the imagination, but more to get coaches understanding why the players are there um, so they can relate and, and, and build on uh, relationships uh to just again just try and get more out of the player and more out of the, you know the enjoyment it's um you know, participating for longer staying in the program again the big thing i've always said is you might not be coaching your next red you know i mean you might not be coaching your next wallaby by any stretch of imagination but you could be coaching your next you know your club man your hundred cap club man or something like that sponsor administrator or you know your next coach as well so it's again it's just trying to get a better understanding of why the players are involved to get keep them in the game for longer. Mm, yeah, it sounds like an interesting journey and a well-traveled one at that. Obviously, <laughs> it's a small world, and I guess in the world of sports coaching research, and Cliff Mallett is the supervisor of our league researcher, Jimmy Vaughan, and his PhD work. So it is uh, certainly a few degrees of separation. So very interesting. Now, you, you've touched on player motivation and participation as a focus in your research, and obviously mentioned a couple of points around it there as to why, um, obviously with your son's experience and some of your observations, but what really motivated you to pursue that angle within the coaching landscape? Because it is so broad and complex in terms of the number of topics you could kind of dive into. Um, look, again, it, for me, it was just, we're, we're, you know, I mean, we're six months away from 2020. You know, I mean, there's 101 ways uh, where kids can you know, get a sense of engagement or, or um, you know, something from somebody else, you know, through, be it through digital media or, or, or any other form at the moment, you know, less has gone down the way of organized sport. 
as a sense of connection, you know, I mean, be it to friends, coaches, whatever it might be. So I just wanted to offer, as I say, uh, essentially a snapshot or, or, or something just to even just to get coaches to consider or think, um, how can we better connect with the athletes? How can we understand why they're involved in the sport? Because again, you might have a high performance player who's just involved in the sport because he, he loves the game. He doesn't really want to take it you know, I mean, much further. Whereas then you might have the lower grade who, who really wants to put in those extra efforts and try and build on it. Um, so it was trying to create a framework or, or even just a series of questions for just essentially coach where your feet are. Understand the player who's in standing in front of you. Um, ask, ask questions. Don't, you know, I mean, don't be too directive. Uh, don't be so top heavy in what, what you're trying to give um, uh, to the program or the players as individuals. Um, it, was, yeah, it was just trying to get them just get coaches to think about it. As I say, it was done within rugby, obviously, because that's my background, and I had access to the programs, to the uh, coaches within it. Um, and again, I just wanted to see, ultimately, I wanted to see rugby improve. You know what yeah. I mean? Participation numbers were dropping, and I just wanted to see the game grow. You know what I mean? Not even necessarily at the top end, at the grassroots level, if you want to call it that as well. So. Yeah, it's a good motivation and certainly an issue in terms of youth participation and keeping players in the game because, you know, we've sort of spoken a lot through PDP about the dangers of talent pathways and, and there's a huge amount of debate around talent ID, which we'll touch on a little later. But some of your research and some of the things which you've presented in terms of preparing for this discussion are around the basic psychological needs of humans. And I think sometimes we forget as coaches, maybe we get lost in the X's and O's and some of the technical tactical stuff that we are dealing with complex humans. And there's a lot of baggage that goes with that. So what are some of those basic psychological needs of humans and how does this then impact on the way we deliver sport, either in the coaching environments we work in or in broader programs, as you sort of alluded to? Yeah, well, that's, it's, you, know, you can look at it a number of ways, be it Maslow's hierarchy of needs or, or stuff that I've more looked into is the self-determination theory, uh, which again, you know, Cliff talks about, I know Jimmy talks about as well. And um, you look at those needs of uh, for, you know, self-determination principles of autonomy, uh, competency, relatedness. I mean, that sense of connection, uh, that sense of, you know, improvement, and not just improvement by measures, um, like, you know, I mean, set measures by wherever it may be. It's a, a, an understanding of your intrinsic goals or, or what you deem as improvement as well. And a sense of autonomy where you're you're in control and you're making your own decisions. You know? So that's from that. You know, how how can that be structured in the sports programs? You've got to offer these ideas within your programs as well. Whether it's giving your involved players choice or a voice or or letting them feel that as a group, you know, collectively they're uh, improving or, or or in control of you know, I mean, how they play or how they practice, as an example. And um, then you'll get this greater level of engagement. And, and again, we've, we've seen this, you know, it's not just within sports programs, it's, it's now in the workplace. You, know, you talk about um, whether it be, you know, right down to flexible hours or, or, or things like that. If, 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 a, if an employee has, say, more choice or, or um, a bit more impact within you know, their collective work group or something like that, then yeah, they're gonna buy into it a bit more and they're gonna feel intrinsically pleased or satisfied with you know, I mean, what, what they're, the, the program or the workplace or the groups that they're buying into. So. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think there are dynamics within society that are changing. In a recent conversation with Mark Upton, we discussed this exact example around uh, the challenges within 
perhaps commercial organizations and, and, and corporate culture or commercial cultures and how those ideas kind of cross over into sport because essentially you are leading or facilitating in a team environment and, and there aren't too many differences there in terms of we're still dealing with people. So whether your KPIs are improving your development as a player or whether it's actually hitting targets in a, in a sales position, for example, that there are some uh, sort of crossovers there from a, a motivation perspective and there's been a lot of research in that. But in terms of common errors from the coaching perspective and some of the things that perhaps you've observed in rugby. Um, I know, you know, the idea of tradition and storytelling is something I've dived into in my own writing and reading and, and some of the research through PDP as well is something I find very interesting. What are those common threads or those common stories that are perhaps leading to errors when coaches or system leaders are creating programs where you've perhaps seen there are things not quite going as they potentially could uh, in a motivational sense? Yeah, look, and, and again, as you said, it's, the problem is, especially within rugby union, and I'm sure it's the same within soccer, there is this sense of tradition and it's very top-led and things like that, but we're dealing with a different cohort, a different type of player coming through at the moment as well. They want to feel they have their own voice, they want to feel um, they're involved in practice design, as an example. Um, so it's trying to, you know, I mean, what ways essentially can we find the middle in those two so you know the coach can still be um i like to you know talk to coaches and say look well you can be the most you know be an ex essentially an experienced bystander where you let the players have that practice design you give them some freedom and uh, you want to see them active you want to see them you know i mean if they come to practice what it might be you know two three four times a week or whatever you want to see the movement they, they don't come to you just to listen to your voice and listen to your expertise and things like that get them involved in the game get them moving and and, and then as i say you know, have that sense of connection, build on those relationships where you can offer, you know, I mean, feedback, be a critical feedback as well, but it would be taken in a positive way if you develop that sense of connection to them. So, so yeah, coming, you know, coming back to your point, like it's trying to somewhat break those traditions, trying to embrace some of these ideas of you know, self-determination theory where you can offer and um, allow them to, to answer some of those intrinsic motivations or, or what they're looking for. Um, but how do, you, how do we find that common ground is usually the problem. How do we find coach, coaches who essentially are willing enough to offer this sense of freedom, but then it's always comes from all the problems from programs and, and coaches that we've been, felt from, is from external influences, be it from other coaches, be it from um, score lines, be it from whatever it might be, be it honestly from parents especially as well. You know what I mean? What's going on? The, the, if see if they see come turn on the training and they see you know essentially the players leading it and things like that there's always i find in brisbane rugby there's certainly a lot of questions asked well what are you doing as a coach essentially and the, the role of the coach is to facilitate or or you know I mean, build an environment where they can test and improve uh, and ultimately enjoy you know, at the end of the day it's a game i mean be it rugby be it soccer be it whatever it's a game they've, they've signed up to play and enjoy um they don't, you know, they don't necessarily sign up for you to come down and listen to you as a coach and what you've done and what you think and things like that. It's for them to experiment and try and come to you and ultimately get other ideas and go back and try again. That's, that's what you really want from an environment, I believe, anyway. 
Yeah, well, this is important for coaches to sort of understand from a perspective of ego as well, isn't it? And I think it's very difficult at times where you may have parents watching the practice or you feel like you're being judged as the coach because command and control and tell are perhaps those traditional behaviours which you're alluding to. And I think it can be really important to start bringing the parents along with that journey and educating them as to what success looks like, particularly in the youth space. You know, we'll often aspire to looking at performance environments, for example, is the ultimate and how we should coach. But of course, they're very different to 12, 13, 14 year old players learning the, learning the game and, and obviously trying to stay in the game and have, have some fun with it. So I think it's important there that we the uh, parent education piece isn't missed. I mean, would you have you got any experience with that as to where it's been done well or any observations around that? Um, look, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, there's, there's, there's always the horror stories of parents, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, and, coming to coaches and really challenge them on get selections, training design and things like that. But also like, and that's, this is where, so the, the earlier you can embrace and, and understand what the players are there for. So again, this is ultimately what I wanted to try and get into. If you can understand what the players are there for, understand what motivates them, understand why they're coming to training, what they do away from training, everything that's going on. So develop those relationships. Then that's really your backstory for your, your practice design. At the end of the day, then, if you are taken on or challenged by parents or, or even the organization, be it the clubs that you're involved in or, or um, you know, higher organizations of what you're trying to do, at the end of the day, you're trying to create uh, an engaging atmosphere where the players want to continue to come back, where they want to continue mm-hmm. to learn. Um, that's the, I've talked to rugby coaches uh, around Brisbane, and, and they're always focusing on, as you say, flags, results, so on and so forth. But... The participation is the main thing, certainly at those younger ages. If you can have 100% of people coming back from one season to the next, then your job as coach, you know, I mean, you've excelled essentially. So you want, yeah. You know, I mean, this, again, because there's so many options out there for even, not just other sports, but, you know, other programs and ideas, you know, I mean, be it music, you know, theatre and things like that as well, where they can go and, and, and get that sense of um, engagement or, or, you know, connectedness to a group or, or, or some where they can challenge themselves. Um, if you get them, if you create an environment where they want to come back and they're testing themselves and they're you know involved in in their practice design, ultimately that's that's you know I mean, that's what you're looking for. So so yeah, for me it's always it's always understanding why the players are there. And it may be as you said, it may be like little Johnny wants to you know I mean little Johnny's dad you know I mean played rugby when he was younger and he he's there because you know I mean this is a part of his dad's identity and he wants to buy into that. That's great, you know what I mean? But as long as you understand that and try and give him a sense of enjoyment or, or um, involvement in, in, in the practice design, then that's ultimately, you know, you'll, you'll create an engaging atmosphere for, for little Johnny in future and hopefully he keeps coming back. Yeah, and that's it. And of course, talent will rise. I think your point around the participation piece is if we can keep young people engaged in sport, then that talent will rise and obviously needs support and to be stretched and nurtured and all of the things that go with that. But keeping players in the game is really important. So just to go back to some of the sort of, um, you know, the key ingredients you talked about, autonomy, competence, relatedness, these kind of areas. If I'm tuning into this and I'm thinking, okay, that, that's all wonderful, that's the research, but I'm heading out to my session tonight with a group of players at whatever age, what are some sort of practical tips that you would say to coaches they could implement if they're willing to be open and, and change their approach in order to best help the players? Um, yeah, like, and that's that's always a challenge. It's how do you, how do you it's a, as you said, it's all nicely said and done on, you know what I mean, on a podcast or reading it through a book and things like that, but how do you implement it? 
start small. That's always my my big thing for coaches and whatever is you know, how do we implement this? Just start small. You know, get um, you know, get some of your players to do the warm up. You know, what I mean, whatever it might be, five ten minutes, it's all on you. You know, what I mean, you can do a few light stretches and things like that. But again, they feel that element of control. If it's a small game, something to, to work into, again, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do anything with the, your structure or what you're trying to achieve later on in the training session. But again, if they're just having a bit of fun and it's, if they're moving, again, and if they're talking, and, and again, they can change the design or what it looks like. I always say, look, start off with the likes of the warm-up and, and team meetings, for an example. You know, getting the players to drive, this is obviously toward the older grades, you know, whatever it might be for team meetings. Letting, letting the players drive it. You know? yeah. So again, we always do. Um, it was one of the big things that we tried to do at UQ Rugby as well was to try and we set you know standards and structures at the start of the year. But we as coaches, we stepped to the back of the room. At mm. the end of the day, we always allowed the players. Well, this is this is your expectations. You know, I mean, we turn up on time in the correct kit, so on and so forth, and things like that. Because again, if they're controlling it, it comes from them then all of a sudden it's very tactile for them. It's, it's, it, it really sort of is concreted down because, and then you as coaches, you're only supporting the decisions they've made. You know I mean, if somebody turns up late, well, you, you, know, you as players, this is the group. You know I mean, you stood in front of the group and says, yes, we accept this. This is, this, mm. this, is what, this is what we believe in. This is what's important to us. So it becomes very concrete and very, yeah, as I say, it, it, you know, you're almost letting that, it's that social identity theory where, you're part of, you're a UQ rugby player for this example, or you're just a yep. rugby player who's bought into these norms, and you don't want to let them down because you've agreed to it. I mean, it's very, it's very definite for, for, you, for you as a group and you as an individual. Yeah. It's very interesting. I think that ownership piece is so critical in terms of um, allowing players certain moments in the week or as, as much as you possibly can. Um, obviously, you still need to coach, and I think that's an important caveat. We're not sitting here saying stand back and don't coach and don't influence and work with individuals, but that ownership piece is, is so important. In terms of, you know, we've touched on tradition and we've touched a little bit on some of the things you've observed which may be hindering these kind of motivational climates, but are there any sort of constant challenges you've seen, whether that be in rugby coaching behavior, you've talked about the scoreboard and those kind of extrinsic motivators. Are there areas you've seen, particularly in rugby, which you think could be easily shifted with a broader, I guess, education or better understanding? Um, yeah, I guess it, like, and again, some of the ideas we try to do, come back to what we're talking about as well, is uh, the idea of questioning as opposed to directing. You know I mean, I suppose it, it gets a very different feel when you're offering feedback or, or, or just trying to even gain perspective of what a player was doing through questioning as opposed to, um, you know, like directing or, or mm. uh, offering a statement. And then all of a sudden you get a much better uh, feedback and, and, and feeling from the players. Like, oh, he's asking me a question. Now you can offer, they can offer ideas and opinions and, and you might actually get an answer that you didn't see was coming. You know, I mean, well, why, why did you put that, you know, pass square across the back? That could have been really, you know, I mean, this could have been intercepted. And it's like, well, I looked up and I seen two players, you know, I mean, coming into me through this way. So there wasn't a pass through the middle, you know, I mean, through that. And that's, so all of a sudden as a coach, then you go, oh, right, okay, well, he's seen something that I just didn't see. And um, as you say, through the traditions, it's, it's, it's hard because, as you say, the, it, at the end of the day, the game is, you know, the game of rugby, for example, it's structured in a certain way. There's certain things that you can and can't do. You can't pass the ball forward, so on and so forth. For me, there is a framework of a game there. It's being confident in yourself as a coach that, as you say, you set these ideas and, and expectations of how you want the game to be played, getting some player input in that, but then 
also willing to let go so that you know, they, they can find certain ways within those ideas and structures that you know, they have, again, some of that input on the design and how they play, you know, I mean, right down to naming moves, you know, how the, the, the sessions kind of look like and how they're broken into. Um, so again, it's just, there's more buy-in, it's, it's more input and emphasis coming from the players as well. So, but again, as you said, it's hard. It's, it's just, mm. we've, there's been such a massive cultural shift in rugby union in the past few years. Um, yeah, as I said, there's, there's now, it's, it's only about four or five years ago that, you know, I mean, a lot of these players coming through would have never understood that rugby was an amateur game. But you still got a lot of these coaches who, you know, you know I mean, they turn up and this is their release and, and, and yeah. it was a big thing for them to come down and, and the expectation that it's a hard physical you know impact contact game but now we're, it's, it's almost how do we get the coaches to think in a different light you know I mean there's different shapes and sizes players coming through they're involved in different sports as well um, yeah how, how do we use that and make sure that you know it's used in the right way where we're mm-hmm. keeping them interested and engaged as opposed to what we think the game should look like Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.